This is the On the Touchline podcast. We're your hosts, Jason Broadwater and Aaron Rogers. Welcome to the show. So we have a, uh, a really exciting guest here with uh, Lindsay Basiliga, and uh, Lindsay's done a little bit of everything in our game. And uh, thank you to you for connecting us and, and getting her on the show and making arrangements for that. Um, but she, she played collegiately at the University of Maryland. Uh, she's also coached at two different places um, in the college game at Eastern Kentucky and in Bowling Green, and uh, now is running her own business at Competitive Edge Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio. And you've known uh, Lindsay uh, in a coaching environment. Actually, you probably have coached against her. Oh yeah, uh, one time, you know, in in your career. So yeah, no, absolutely fascinating story. I think um, I think there's so much to gain from her experiences as she grew up as a youth soccer player and playing obviously in the ACC at the highest level you could in collegiately. And then her her experiences starting a collegiate program, coaching at another um, Division One school, and and then obviously transitioning into kind of the consultancy business that she's in now. And her stories, I think, will really show um, and and shed a light on on how you can grow, how you can be vulnerable, and how you can um, develop a great philosophy for helping young people develop as people and soccer players. Yeah, uh, very very well said. Uh, more on Lindsay in just a sec. Um, you can find our podcast on all major podcasting platforms. So whatever platform you prefer, make sure that you subscribe to our show. That way you will never miss a new episode when we publish every Wednesday. And uh, just as a, a publishing note, so we're now on a once a week Wednesday pu- uh, publishing schedule here in 2020. And so we'll publish up until probably the, the start of the fall season. So excited to put out more content on a regular basis, be a little more sustainable, and that season three will actually run um, a little bit longer than, than some of the previous seasons. Um, and also, too, you can connect with Aaron and I at any time on social media. And so you can find me at Soccer Coach JB. And Aaron, how can people find you? At Ohio Soccer Coach. Very cool. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Lindsay Basilica. Yeah, Lindsay, I'm I'm really thankful that Aaron was able to connect us. And um, one, I very much appreciate the work that you're doing, um, not only for for young athletes, but uh, you know, players in our game. And that um, you've done a little bit of everything in your career, and I think that that's mm-hmm. you know tremendously cool. So um, I think it's always a, a good starting point when we have guests on to you know to know your backstory and how you got to where you are. Uh, professionally um, in, in what you're doing now. So um, I know you're, you're from Cincinnati, Ohio, and mm-hmm. I think you're maybe our second or third guest from, from Cincinnati. So I think that's pretty awesome. The, the Queen City. Um, I, I think that's right, right? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah. Tell folks a little bit about your background and, uh, and how you got to where you are. Here's okay. what got me into soccer. And I did not know this when I was growing up. I was born with a cleft palate. So I have a hole in the roof of my mouth. 
and I don't have a cleft lip. So on the outside, I look perfectly healthy, um, but I was born with a hole that goes from the inside of my mouth up through my nose. And growing up in elementary school, I was a mute. I literally did not want to speak because I was constantly made fun of. Um, my speech was extremely nasally. Kids would hold their nose and mock me. Um, I got in fist fights with kids in school, like being two specific situations with boys that were constantly picking on me. One kid named Chris actually pulled a chair out from underneath me in an indoor recess class. All the kids started laughing and I turned around and I punched him in the face. <laughs> and I stood up for myself and sat out in the hallway and, you know, just waiting my fate because I know you can't just punch people. Um, I was waiting my fate and my dad shows up at the school and I, in my mind, I thought I was gonna get spanked, like paddled. I thought there was like a paddling room I was going to go to. And I honestly, in my mind was planning on telling the principal that I had to go to the bathroom because I was gonna stuff toilet paper in my pants <laughs> to absorb the blow of getting spanked because I wasn't going to tell anyone I was being bullied and picked on. My parents literally had no clue the stuff I was doing in elementary school to not have to talk, to have to stand up for myself, um, I would chew the inside of my lip until it started bleeding and like the little reading circle. I mean, I remember this vividly, the little reading circle where you have to sit and pass the book. And I had all these little mental cheats to prepare myself to, because I had a hard time sounding out words as well. Um, and I would chew the inside of my lip till my lip would bleed. And then I'd look at the teacher, I'm like, my lip's bleeding. And she's like, go, or he or she told me to go to the nurse's office. And I would hide out in the nurse's office. So I had all these cheats, but soccer was the place I could be a human, where I could be accepted, where I could be free. And no one made fun of me in those environments. So my relationship with soccer stemmed from a place of safety and security. And at the time, like I said, I don't realize that that story drew me to soccer until I got older um, but I was extremely self-motivated because again for me the way to not be picked on the way to be valued was to be one of the best players on the field so I had an incredible work rate all through high school um, I love the fact that I could bail out on parties and social experiences and dances my my dad actually uh, was a teacher and a coach at my high school. So not only was I extremely insecure about my voice and speaking, my dad was a baseball and soccer coach and taught in the building. So I feel like I had this like recipe for like insecurity and disaster. Um, again, I found my home in the game of soccer. Um, I played ball, um, excuse me, I played basketball and I also played softball but my creativity, the um, economy of the game, I mean, I love that in, in soccer. So I invested so much on my own. Um, my parents didn't make a lot of money. Um, they could afford my, actually I was a single income home. My dad being a teacher and a coach, 
Uh, my mom, you know, was a stay-at-home mom with a brother and sister as well that are younger than me. So they could afford ODP opportunities. And the first time I went to ODP in seventh grade, I actually remember being on the bus ride to ODP. And I was a July 31st birthday. Um, so I was right at the cutoff. I was the youngest in the age group. And so I'm sitting on the bus with an eighth grader who had been to ODP before. And she's like, oh, yeah, there's no way you're going to make this team. And again, for me to be valued and feel a part, I like just worked my ass off at ODP. And I was fortunate enough to make, you know, the regional team the first time I went and, uh, you know, enjoyed the experience, stayed in that environment um, until I was uh, recruited at Maryland. And interesting story for me, which I think adds to my skill sets and uh, learning from different environments and different people. I was, um, I was recruited by April Heinrichs. And I can't remember if it was like the week before I signed my NLI or the week after, uh, but she left and went to Virginia. So then there was that waiting game of who's gonna be hired at Maryland. And at the time they were number eight in the country. Um, you know, they had just come off a elite eight uh, tournament run the year before. So I knew I was walking into a really high level environment. Part of the reason I chose Maryland, Maryland though, was to escape my reality of living here in the Midwest, in Cincinnati, where everyone thought the only reason I made ODP is because your dad's a coach and, you know, your dad got you this opportunity and that opportunity. So I was constantly feeling like I needed to prove myself. Um, so when the number eight team in the country says we want you in your program and I absolutely love the culture of those people on the recruiting trip. Um, I mean, there was just people from all over the country and it felt like a bunch of people that were trying to find their way, just like I was trying to find my way. And I felt like I fit there uh, compared to some of the other schools I looked at. Um, but then Alan Kirkup was hired loved playing for Alan. Um, he, Shout outs to Alan. I loved playing for him. And, you know, I had to adjust because in my mind, I thought I was going to play for someone else. The style of play was different. The training environment was different. So when I was a freshman and then the uh, returning players were used to a completely different training environment than Alan had. I love playing for him. Um, but then my junior year where I finally feel like I fit in and I belong, because that was a tough part too, is I didn't feel like I belonged. I wasn't recruited by Allen. And there were actually a couple of players that left and went with April to Virginia and another player who came with Allen. So there was only like three of us that weren't recruited by him. So I have empathy for coaching changes and, and players that go through coaching changes. Um, but finally, I felt like I fit in and we get word um, like the night before he had a meeting that he was leaving to go to Arkansas. And to me, this is a really funny story, but I don't know if coaches would think this is funny, but he, I, we knew he was leaving. We knew he was going to Arkansas and he was holding a meeting to tell us he was leaving. But that same day, the men's team was playing in the final four over at like Richmond in Richmond, Virginia. And I skipped the meeting because I wanted to go to the final four. 
for the men's team. Like, I love the game of soccer. And I'm like, I am not missing the Final Four to hear that Allen's going to Arkansas when I already know he's going to Arkansas. Um, and I was pissed. You know, I was sad. But anyway, that's part of my story. And then so my senior year, I ended up playing for Shannon Higgins, which, again, was another incredible experience. I wish I had the opportunity to play for her longer. Um, and then from there, I, I mean, I, I got a degree in art. I was one of those people who had zero clue what they wanted to do with their academic, you know, career, with their uh, degree. I think I went through maybe four or five degrees in two years. I was an anthropology major. <laughs> um, I was a human, uh, or excuse me, women's studies major. I was kinesiology. I was education. I was undecided. And my sophomore year in the spring, Alan actually kicked me out of practice for a week. He's like, you are not coming back to training until you figure out what you want to major in. And I'm, I remember sitting in the counselor's office, like taking all these aptitude tests and looking through like books of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> and I landed on art and I had always loved art in high school. Um, so I'm like, all right, I'll get an art degree. Um, my parents were not happy. They did not tell me they weren't happy until after I graduated with a degree. Cause I think at some point in time, they were probably nervous that I wasn't even going to get a degree. Um, because I love the game. Like, I genuinely went to college to play soccer, invest in growing as a player, invest in my teammates. Like, I loved my teammates. I was that player who, like, I skipped class because I wanted to get to training early because I didn't want to miss out on rondos. Like, I didn't want to miss out on the locker room. I didn't want to miss out on having a great training session and everybody's like where are we going to eat well some days I had class and some days I didn't have class and you know but I love to learn I'm a learner I have a master's degree so it wasn't that I didn't like learning I just loved the game um, and so when I graduated with this art degree I had no clue what I was going to do and I was really fortunate to have a couple players in front of me who had gone on to be graduate assistants. I'm like, lovely, I'll stay in the game, I'll get a master's degree, I'll see if coaching is a path I wanna be on. And that's kind of where, what got me into college athletics. Um, I was an assistant at Toledo for three years. I went on to start um, the program in Eastern Kentucky. So I was 26 years old. I cannot believe people said, hey, 26-year-old, you are really qualified to start a Division I program, and here's nine months to do it. We still don't have a field, and we don't have a locker room. Good luck. Um, I love that I was given the opportunity, but eight years, so there are eight years. I'm really proud of the fact that um, – in 2008, so our fourth season, we actually finished second in the conference. So I felt like I had a pretty good idea of how to build culture, um, how to recruit, you know, but I was genuinely learning under fire. Um, and when I look back at that experience, I think I aged like 10 years because every loss, every hit, every emotion was my own. I, I, I stopped learning 
through somebody else's struggles. Um, and I think there's areas of the game I didn't evolve in simply because I wasn't learning from somebody else. Um, so I was at Eastern Kentucky for eight years. I was ready for a change. Um, and honestly, I wanted to be around another coach. And so when the job at Bowling Green opened up, they have a men's team. I was really excited to work alongside somebody else. And I missed being that involved in another program, kind of like I was at Maryland, you know, the opportunity to watch another team play and be invested with players. Uh, so I took the job at BG. And then, um, honestly, four years later, my contract came to an end and it was adios. You know, I, I, I've worked through a lot of that pain over the last three years. Um, I, I personally love saying I was fired. I don't know why. I'm like, I was fired. And my mom and dad are always like, you weren't fired. Your contract wasn't renewed. I'm like, whatever. It was fired. And honestly, I love saying it because I think there's a culture where you're not allowed to fail. And people are ashamed of failing. And so I had to work through that shame of my contract not being renewed, you know? And part of that story is I had three ADs in three and a half years. I had two sport administrators in three and a half years. So there was a lot of turnover. And I think when that moment happened though, it was relief, you know? For me, it was relief because the last couple years of my college career, I didn't feel like I was serving the game from a place of authenticity. I loved coaching soccer in college. I didn't love college soccer. And I just didn't feel like I could always be myself, my real authentic self um, as a head coach. I do think I could still be in the college game if I would have stayed an assistant. Cause I love that role as an assistant, you know, kind of being the nice guy or a nice coach all the time. and. Um, being able to build some deeper relationships and, and be able to lift players up a little bit more when a head coach has kind of gotten on them for a session or after a game. I, I lacked that as a head coach. Um, so I did feel a sense of relief and fear and judgment that I had to work through because I moved from Boeing Green back home with my parents which is a completely humbling experience to move in with your parents, go on unemployment. And I'm like, I'm going to rock unemployment. Like there's stuff you have to like do to stay on unemployment. And I was like, so detailed. I had Excel sheets. I was meeting with unemployment, you know, officers. Like, I'm like, I'm going to kill unemployment. I was applying to work at the zoo. Cause I just, I'm like, what does somebody who has only coached in college do, you know, I applied to work at the zoo. I was driving Uber. <laughs> like I drove Uber for three months and I feel really bad for the people that were in that car in like November and December. <laughs> like this is a month after I am out of the world. I have known my entire life. I'm still very much working through all the emotions I feel from my experience, you know, at Boeing Green and how it ended. It was like 
cash cab without any cash and me <laughs> just like dumping on people. And I was not good at Uber driving. Like I dropped people off on the wrong corners. I was constantly getting turned around in Cincinnati, which is a town I grew up in. But driving with people you don't know in your car is completely different than driving on your own. And I was bad. Um, but there was one moment, well, actually two moments. There was one moment where I genuinely thought I was going to make a living off of Uber. I'm like, I'm, I can do this. Like, I'm going to be an Uber driver. <laughs> you know, I make my own hours. I can do whatever I want to do. I can turn on my app whenever I'm ready or available. And there was a moment, probably about three months later, where I was leaving a friend's house at like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, I'm just gonna turn the app on and see who I can pick up on the way home. And this guy just like walks out of an alleyway and my heart drops. I'm like, what in the world am I doing? As he gets in my front seat, I'm driving through the hills of Indian Hill, which are in Cincinnati and it's very dark. And I just had this aha moment of like, this isn't the life. I was meant to live. <laughs> um, so that was my last Uber trip. Um, but every time I get in an Uber, especially with my sister, she's like, are you going to let them know, like your colleagues, like you guys used to work together? <laughs> um, so, you know, there was like eight months of really just trying to figure out what I want to do with this game. And it put me on a path to uh, start competitive edge, which is where I'm at right now. And I take all the skill sets and my background and my history and experience of building cultures at Eastern Kentucky, you know, starting a program, transforming culture at Bowling Green, because that was a program that when I took it over, they had only won one game. And I realized I love culture. I love, I wanted, I've always wanted as a coach, the players to love themselves more than they ever loved me. And building those relationships, driving communication, you know, wanting them to love the game and show up for each other. And how to teach that and instill it, not just tell them to do it, but how can I guide them there on their own? Um, and so I started this business to help high school coaches with it. And, you know, I think it's an environment where over the last three years, I've realized like high school soccer, throw out the quality. What the coaches have to do to blend a kid who literally plays soccer for three months out of a year with a kid in their environment who may be going on to play at Maryland is really hard. And more so, what we focus on is how do we help those athletes in the room have empathy and respect from a place of what high school sports are. And I say this all the time. There are so many high school athletes who need sport way more than the sport needs them. And I go back to myself. I was fortunate to be good at soccer, but I needed that environment. You know, I needed a place where I could be, feel safe and be myself. And in high school sports, because there's not, like, the variables are so different. Um, there's different whys, there's different passions, there's different skill sets. If you have kids with the mindset of, I want to play in college, 
beating up the kid who, you know, ends up making the varsity team because there's not enough players to make, you know, fill out the varsity team roster. But that kid is literally there because mom and dad said, you have to do something. <laughs> you know, you've got to be involved in something in your school. That experience for everyone involved is going to be awful. Um, and that's what we're helping coaches do. Uh, we're also providing resources. You know, I'm trying to help coaches get better and have access to free resources so they can um, get better at their craft while also continuing to work from a place of like what high school sports are. Let's not turn it into the club environment because we already have that. It's called club soccer. <laughs> you know, this isn't a pro environment. High school soccer is not put in place to drive behaviors for our future, future national team. You know, no high school state association says, here's our why, here's our mission. So we gotta work from a place of what it is instead of beating it up for what it's not. Um, so that's really my story kind of full circle. I absolutely love uh, your story, Lindsay, in that um, you strike me as a person that is incredibly self-aware, um, that is really, you know, gone down that road of exploring the emotional side and the psychological side of the game. And uh, I can tell, um, you know, when you uh, started Competitive Edge, that there's a, a strong emphasis on the, the psychological and the sociological side of, of our game. And, and really, that's what this podcast is, is all about. Um, Aaron and I talk about this often, that um, we have great respect for, you know, our fellow podcasters that they do a fantastic job with the technical tactical stuff and we may bring those things up from time to time but that's not why we exist really as a podcast and it's you know about the person it's about who we are as people and so i'll share a little bit about um me here and kind of a, a glimpse behind the curtain so uh, a, a therapist that i worked with at one time in my life and said to me that some of the most transformative events happen in your childhood and I can only imagine and have great empathy for um, some of the circumstances you had to endure, um, you know, as a, as a young person. Yet, you know, you had mentioned that sport was really that place where you could shine and you could be yourself and you felt that freedom and, and, and you know, just felt that um, you could be your authentic self. And I, and I love that phrase because I think for us as coaches and as people, I mean, that's probably the quest that we're on, right? If people say, what is life about? It's to find your authentic self. At least, you know, that's, that would be my elevator pitch um, to, to, to people. And I wonder, um, you know, there could have been, uh, uh, you know, the, the fork in the road, so to speak, of I'm here, you know, there's some, some really tough stuff going on, right? and kids are bullying and, you know, acting a fool and, and really making my life a living hell, you know, th there's people that don't have sport, right? And there's people that, you know, choose to exhibit other behaviors. And I wonder if those, you know, that fork in the road of going, I could choose sport or I could choose to go and do something else in, you know, whatever that is for people, if it's drugs, if it's alcohol, if it's, you know, running around with a, a group of friends that, you know, may not make the best decisions, you know, whatever it might be. And I wonder what that was like um, for you. And even if you thought of it or recognized it, you know, at the time, or even looking back on it, you know, with hindsight. Yeah, I, I don't think I had that moment of like, it, a different path, 
um, I always wanted to play the game, you know, and there was never a question of being involved in the game, you know, in youth and high school um, or choosing like a different social path. Um, I have empathy for those kids who aren't like me, who are, like, I was a high-level soccer player, even though when I was growing up, I didn't think I was. Um, you know, even playing at Maryland, I was so far out of my comfort zone. Um, and here's just a little bit more insight as well, because I, one thing that this kick I'm on right now is the narrative of you're not this if you're not that and not knowing the stories behind people so my freshman year of college and it's my story so i don't really care but my freshman year of college i had a 1.79 gpa and i had a 1.79 gpa because again i love the game and i was focused on growing as a player but I was so far out of my comfort zone, I would skip class because of the anxiety that I had before fitness. And the anxiety I had before fitness was because I literally couldn't breathe. It wasn't until my sophomore year um, where they, my parents were, because I, I was dying. Like I was, that level was so fast. And I was, I was turned from a, uh, like a number eight central mid to an outside mid in the ACC. And learning to survive in that environment when I had all of this other stuff going on in, because a cleft palate affects your ability to breathe. Um, my parents finally found me a specialist that put me on a nebulizer that I had to hook up to before every single game um, to expand my lung capacity. And I didn't actually have asthma. I wouldn't have asthma attacks. I literally had the lungs of an 80 year old woman. And so I skipped class because of my anxiety before fitness. I skipped class because I wanted more sleep so I could be prepared to compete in training. So I had a 1.79 because I was in survival mode as a freshman in the ACC with all the other stuff going on that nobody really knew. Um, so I don't know if that necessarily answers your question from my perspective, but I could see, take me, the pressure, the anxiety, the environment, and then making a choice to quit and saying I'm out because of my coaches, because of the environment, because of waking up every morning, being blasted with a text message that says, or a, a social media post that you're not an athlete if, you're not an elite athlete if, you have these or F's on your report card. I literally had these and F's on my report card because I was in survival mode. And I was taking classes that I didn't want to take. I was an art major. So there's just, I think there's so much going on. And me being out of the fire of college athletics, me doing, having the time and energy to really do deep dives with myself. Like I have a counselor I started working with a year ago. I would suggest every coach in America getting a counselor, work on yourself. <laughs> you know, it's brave. And I remember times when I was at BG, I was so incredibly lonely and sad and 
just bawling my eyes out to my parents who were in Cincinnati and my dad literally thought he was going to have to get in the car and drive to Bowling Green because he was so scared of the place I was in. And there were times where, I mean, I wanted to be hit by a bus on the way to training. I cycled to training, um, which was awesome. Um, but I was like, if a bus hit me today, you know, I'd be okay. Cause at least I could detach for a month you know, and have somebody else take care of me. Um, so when we are so open with these narratives, we don't know people's stories. My parents didn't know I was being picked on until I was 30, in my 30s. I wasn't going to share it, you know, and maybe, yeah. So I just think we have to have empathy and awareness of kids' stories beyond just the actions. Because there are kids in high school soccer who are going to choose, you know what, I do not like this environment. And maybe they do go down the path of drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, in college, I mean, there's not going to be a perfect environment, I think, for everyone. And I get it. I coach in college and you're driving standards and there's going to be people that don't fit um, and transfer. And I get all that. Um, but I do have deeper awareness and empathy for people's stories that I wasn't personally allowed or able to do or even at a place to do when I was in the fire of being a college coach. I wasn't working on myself. I wasn't thinking about my story and why I coach and how I want to coach. So. Hey, Aaron, we have a new sponsor in 2020. Yeah, what is that? Uh, it's Manscaped, and uh, have you ever been to the beach or ever been out somewhere and noticed the uh, the guy that's wearing literally like a, a rug, you know, hasn't really taken yeah. care of himself? Oh, yeah. Uh, pretty nasty, right? No one wants Oh, yeah. That. No, no. So uh, Manscaped has created a redesigned electric trimmer, and you and I actually both got these in the mail, and they're Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so you won't nick yourself uh, while you're trying to clean up those body hairs that are just a nuisance. Uh, manscaping accidents will finally be a thing of the past, so I think you and I can both give a high five for that. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to use the same trimmer that you use on your face for other parts of your body, right? That's kind of gross. Yeah, no, I don't want to do that. So you can use our promo code OTTL at manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping. So that's OTTL at manscaped.com. Uh, you always want to use the right tools for the job, uh, your body, and below the belt. We'll certainly thank you. So that's OTTL at checkout at manscaped.com. And you'll get free shipping and 20% off today. Do you think you are a very vulnerable, you, you share your vulnerabilities. And obviously I know you, have known you for a long time. And we've had these conversations. Do you think that coaches are allowed to be vulnerable? No. I don't. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I mean, in the college environment, you can't. If I want to, I will, excuse me, I will say, you know, I worked for some great people in college. 
If I, though, walked in and said, you know what, on the way to training today, I really wish the bus hit me <laughs> because I'm struggling. I feel like I'm failing. I'm letting these kids down. I, there's a file <laughs> next to that meeting, and that's going in the file. You know, I don't think, and I, I would push this on to uh, college administrators. If you want to influence the student athlete experience, take care of your coaches. You know, take care of your coaches, because I know for a fact where I was at places in my life, as hard as I try not to project that onto my athletes, I did. You know, the energy, the disappointment, whatever it may be. I don't think there's a place within the university system to do that, but I also don't think there's a place yet um, where it's allowed within coaches. And I for me, oh, go ahead. No, I, I finish up because, but I want to just add this in because I think that more and more these days in 2020, we are allowing the student athletes to be vulnerable, which is a good thing. And, and I think mm -hmm. it helps us to understand them better. But I also wonder if, if we only give it lip service, do we really allow the student athletes to be vulnerable? Or do we just say that because it's part of society now, because they're athletes and they're supposed to be strong and they're supposed to be tough and they're supposed to persevere or whatever. But on the other hand, I think you're right. If, if And we've had this conversation with other coaches. If we show some vulnerability to our players, then they could potentially say, see that it's okay to be vulnerable. And, and I think, I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, no, I think that's a good, good point. And I think genuinely, I'm going to feel more comfortable being vulnerable. I'll feel more comfortable with my athletes being vulnerable if I too have a space within the system to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just, I have to have a place to go as well and be mm -hmm. vulnerable if I'm asking. And I think then it all becomes a lot more authentic and real. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that exists yet. Maybe there's some places where that exists. Um, you know, I was, I had no problem apologizing to my athletes. I had no problem saying I was wrong. I screwed up. I am sorry. You know, following up the next day with like that, that's part of the stuff that I spiraled, spiraled with as a coach was, did my words land the right way? Was my tone too aggressive? Do they have any questions? What if I, as a coach, had a place to bounce that off of within the values of the school itself as well? Mm -hmm. Not you, you know, because we've had these conversations. Sure. We, we reach out to our close colleagues to have them, but not necessarily somebody within the system that we're all working towards something. And I think that is kind of a missing link. Um, I personally allowed the players to be vulnerable looking back i would be better at it with how i responded perhaps um i mean i i do think there's stuff though with hepa and it, you know there's just so much you know that they sometimes 
tell you and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this information now? So you want them to be open, but then we as professionals and coaches have people we report to. So it's, there's a lot going on. I don't know if that answers or. No, I think it's, I think it's good. It's because, but as a coach too, you know, you mentioned it earlier about your emotions affecting how you communicate I mean, as a coach, you go to training and no matter what else is happening in your life, you have to be the same consistent person. And, and that's a challenge. And mm-hmm. that takes a toll on you as a coach emotionally and physically, because physically, because you're so emotionally drained from managing your emotions that it is. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough field. I don't think people really that are on the outside that just think, oh, you just go and run a practice and you go and talk X's and O's, and then you go back and whatever you do, what people think we do in our offices all day. I don't know. <laughs> but watch the Mandalorian. Watch the Mandalorian. Right, exactly. So, um, I mean, but I think that, and I think you, as a professional, have, because you're so willing to share your vulnerabilities, you can share that. And it's it's shaped you and how you how you mentor, how you um, help, train, whatever term you want to say to what you're doing now um, on all the different levels that you work at. And I think that's why your story is so valuable. Well, and I'll add to that, like for me, so when I, when I moved back to Cincinnati, I started training some youth teams and I felt so far out of my comfort zone. Like it was, who would have thought coming from college soccer, I'd be uncomfortable with 10 year olds and nine year olds. I felt uncomfortable. Um, But I felt so at peace training and working with 10 and 11 year olds and giving them this space to be human. And I think that's something I definitely took from my experience in college is allowing them to be humans. And never once did I, treat myself as this power figure in front of 10 and 11 year olds like I gave them a voice I let them talk I would teach them you know for example on the bench little Sally wants to go on and on like I had this one little girl who was always giving me news updates like every day she couldn't wait to tell me like what was happening in the news and I always wanted to give her that time and space I just taught her when like I love that you have all these ideas, but maybe not right now at halftime of the day. <laughs> you know, instead of just shutting people down, you know, allowing players to make mistakes in the flow of the game and then teaching them, you know, that decision doesn't work so well, maybe in that third of the field. Um, giving them freedom in the attack, giving them freedom to make mistakes because I didn't feel the pressure that I felt in college and this was something I was trying I, I worked to tell a lot of high school and club coaches until you're in must-win soccer games that dictate your contract and your living I mean that's pressure coaching a 10-year-old soccer game is not pressure you know and I love that environment because I actually felt like I could be myself um so kind of the sidebar I I think when you talk about my journey and my experience I'm loving the space I'm in right now because I can serve from a place of vulnerability and I want to be vulnerable I'm not claiming to be 
perfect. I don't want think, people to think this is the only way to do things and this is the only path and speak from absolutes. Like, that's not me. And there's also 12 years of athletes I've coached that I don't ever want them to hear a podcast or hear something and they think, well, you were kind of crazy back when you were 27 years old. Don't paint this rosy picture, you know? So I was, I was crazy at times. Uh, so yeah, that, that's just kind of who I am in the space I'm in. Um, I want to be real and vulnerable. Lindsay, I was, uh, I watched a, a video um, that you had done, I think it was uh, late last year, uh, maybe October, November. And um, one of the things you had mentioned in the video that I wrote down in my notes, um, so we talk a lot about culture, right, and building culture and just how important that actually is. And I love what you said of, you know, uh, at Eastern Kentucky and then, you know, a Bowling Green of transforming culture. Um, so it takes on sort of different roles and different meanings. And there's something that you said that I thought was really fascinating of culture is who you are when no one is watching. And I love that quote. Um, just because it is, right? Um, because I think in today's world, we can paint the perfect picture. You know, we'll make this, since you have an art background, um, you can paint mm-hmm. the Mona Lisa if you want, right? There's filters and video software and, and whatever the hell else is out there to make it look perfect, right? But that's not reality. And I think that's sort of uh, at the heart of our chat today of, you know, about authenticity and, you know, that vulnerability that comes in authenticity. And um, I, I don't know, tell me more about the, the culture piece, because um, I'm fascinated by it. I know Aaron's fascinated by it. Um, Aaron often talks about that, um, you know, when he, he came to Ohio, of that there was a lot of talk in his background of talking about winning, right? But mm-hmm. it was really more about building a culture. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I put this way, I, I tell him this all the time. It's not surprising to me as an outsider watching sort of his program evolve that he's having the success that he probably wanted up front because he has built that culture. He has built those expectations. He has built that. This is what we do when people aren't looking and watching of who we are. And I, I wonder what that was like in those different experiences you've had. And even now what you're doing, um, you know, with, uh, with competitive edge. Yeah. So I think, and I, I appreciate you uh, mentioning that quote because I, as much as I love social media and social media has connected people, um, it allows people to tell a part of their story. It's great for business. Um, there's this idea that what you always see on social media is people's reality and culture is what happens when you're not on social media. You know, who you are as a person is what you do when you don't think anybody is watching. I mean, I can tweet out about being a good human, but how do I interact with somebody, you know, trying to find a parking spot at the local grocery store? And, and you know, they steal my spot. Am I going to lose my mind five minutes after I send that tweet? Or is this just who I am? Um, and so I think building culture, you create a space and a place where when you walk away as a coach, it still exists. You know, the way that athletes treat each other still exists. The way they are on campus still exists. And when I look at Bowling Green, and that 
I mean, that was, it was work. I mean, it was four years of work. Um, and I realized the, the relationships in that program when I took over were just not healthy. Like we had to learn how to like each other. And then once we liked each other and we knew how to communicate and had a common language, um, which took, you know, a year. Now, how do we feel comfortable and vulnerable enough in our training environment to actually compete against each other? You can't compete against each other and, and battle against each other if after practice is over, you don't see each other for 24 hours. And I actually put this out, I think, on Instagram the other day. One of my best friends from college came in to visit me um, in Cincinnati. And her and I would beat the crap out of each other in training. She was super athletic and fast. I was technical and skillful. And we would just beat each other up in 1v1s and just angry at each other as we walked off the field. And once we, you know, cleaned up after training, it was like, where are we going to lunch? This is part of the problem I reason I didn't do great in school, perhaps. (laughs) But if you don't have that environment where kids are actually enjoying being around each other away from the field, you can't be upset if they're not willing to compete on the field, especially, I believe, in the women's game. You know, because there, there's, uh, we're, we're different. There's, there's other things at play that are going to allow me to be comfortable in, in an environment as an athlete. So we got to build relationships, then create the environment, and then get to a place where, for me, it was more about celebrating the behaviors we wanted to see instead of picking apart the stuff we weren't. And we actually created a, a board in the locker room that said what we celebrate. And it started with us as coaches. You know, we celebrated every little thing until finally, probably another year later, the kids were celebrating what we celebrate. And we were able to kind of step back. And it's like, I kept telling the men's coach at BG, I'm like, I don't know what this should sound like or feel like. I just know we're not there yet. And my last year at BG, I was like, yeah, this is when, like, I wanted to be in the session, playing and training with them. There were times in all of my experiences at BG in Eastern Kentucky, I was like, God, I, do, I would not want to be in the session. You know, I would not want to train with you. Um, so I had to be the one to create that. It's not on the players. I believe it's on us to create that environment. So um, to kind of answer your question, we we didn't make the conference tournament my last year at BG, but two days after the season was over, there were about 12 freshmen and sophomores out on the field playing pickup. And I drove out of campus and I thought to myself, I, we've arrived. And because it wasn't me driven, it was them driven. Um, and so culture, what do you do when no one's watching? That is a moment for me. Um, so. I love it. I, I mean, just a, a fascinating piece, I think, to to what all of us do. And, um, you know, the, the thing I think that gets lost in all this is that it takes time, right? It isn't a, a light switch. It isn't a, um, you know, just hit the hit the button and something just magically happens. Um, and it's, it's, you know, good, it's bad, it's ugly some days, it's, it's life, <laughs> you know, in, in a nutshell, and that um, it can be really messy too. But 
if, you know, players are starting to buy in because of that trust and um, they feel that there's support there and, you know, and the, the coaches are, are sort of fostering that environment. I mean, I think in the end it'll probably succeed, but it takes time, you know, and it's not um, just a, you know, I, and I think this maybe goes back to something we touched on earlier of this, you know, we live in a culture where results are expected almost immediately. Well, in some cases, okay, that's possible. In other cases, it's not. And I don't know. Uh, it makes for a really interesting, I, I find that part fascinating about college athletics of, you know, how much time people are given to be successful in, you know, in all sports, uh, not just the, the sport that we love in soccer, but, um, you know, uh, I mean, even in, in football, um, American football, uh, you know, how short a leash a lot of those coaches have is fascinating to me. It's like, well, they're not a bad coach. You know, they didn't forget how to coach or how to lead people. Um, maybe it's not a right situation. Maybe, you know, I mean, there's so many X's or so many variables out of their control that, you know, they just, they, they can't influence. So, um, Aaron, yeah, um, so uh, Aaron and I are talking about um, something sort of fun that we're going to end every podcast with with uh with guests here in the new year so aaron i'll let you uh take that one so we love soccer right this is our passion we're we're all so passionate about this (laughs) this game and you know i support liverpool i've supported them since i was 13 years old i you know it's a long story but i i just love watching them play and and finally they're gonna they're a championship team again Jason loves Everton. I don't know why. That's just I, – I know why, but that's just uh, – <laughs> I don't know why any American would love Everton. But um, So who do you love watching? Who, who do you, what's your team? Any, any, it doesn't have to be an English team. It could be FC Cincinnati or it could be Maryland women's soccer. Cincinnati Dutch line. Okay. Here's the truth. I love watching whatever environment I'm in. Yeah. Like, genuinely. And I, I've i always, and again, this is kind of the space I'm in right now, is figuring out just the motivation of, like, the game for me. Because, I, like I said, it started in a different place um, back when I was a child. I was always involved in sports through a personal connection with the game. My dad. You know, so I was connected to his teams because he's the goat. He's my dad. So I have always struggled being a fan of something that I'm not invested, like in terms of like loving it, being a mm-hmm. diehard, because mm-hmm. my relationship with sport is different. So for me, I love any environment I'm in. And that's why I love high school soccer. Like we, so we meet with the teams and we'll follow up and we go to their games. And another piece I love about this business is I'm able, I start filming the games and clipping the games. It kind of blends my love of art and music together. But I love being there. These people that we've had a small impact with watching them compete and play. And and so it's probably not the cool answer, but I just love any environment where the game's being played, you know, and who am I to dictate 
who's playing the game the best or the way I think it should be played. You're playing the game based on the pieces you have. Good on you. If you don't have, you know, technical players and you're just saying, hey, in the high school game, we're going to be a little bit more direct and high press. Good for you for figuring out that fit your players. Um, So, yeah, I just love the environment I'm in. I, I know I know you love watching soccer, and I know you you talked about it earlier, and I think that was the perfect answer when you skipped a meeting of your coach to go watch the Maryland men play <laughs> the final four game. I thought that was a phenomenal answer because that truly shows how much you you love and care about the game itself. I, I do, and like I just I want to share that passion, you know, and not from a place of this is how I think the game should be played. And I feel like sometimes as coaches, we get caught up in that. And we judge people based on the game, but we don't know the person's story. Like, get to know the story and then judge what you're saying. Um, but, yeah, I mean, go Have ahead. You, did you guys do your, your EPL, EPL analysis meeting? That's next Saturday. Oh, it's next yeah, Saturday. It's on Saturday. So that's yeah, a, I'm meeting see, with okay. – Go ahead. But that's awesome. That's going to be amazing. I mean, you're actually watching with some peers and some friends and, and just in, in analyzing and going over, you know, probably, do you know what game you're watching? No. No. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter. That. There's so many great ones out there yeah. that you can, that you can well, do. And we also felt like watching a game where maybe not everybody's invested in the team mm-hmm. itself would be better for that environment because we are analyzing we are going to kind of dissect I'm meeting actually later on today with Justin Ferguson who's the associate head coach at UC who's helping us with it he's going to spend about a half hour kind of just helping the people in the room like how do you break down the game how do you analyze the game so I love bringing people together um so i'm really i'm really excited about that opportunity so if it's if it's a game that not many people are going to be emotionally invested in it's going to be something like brighton versus norwich or something like that (laughs) (laughs) bottom of the table baby you know (laughs) but they are going to plan sessions so maybe we can forward those sessions you know hey we are in Cincinnati, Ohio. Here's some ideas we collectively put together for you. Climb up the table with these sessions. Yeah, Yeah, we'll put them on Twitter, you know. Hey, Sean Deitch at uh, Burnley, we're going to send you some of our work. There you go. We're going to top four at the table. That would be an awesome Disney movie, though. That would be a cool movie. That would be. I think that, uh, you know, a good bookend, uh, Lindsay, that we started with Disney and we ended with Disney, that um, uh, Lindsay, if, if folks want to learn more about you and uh, Competitive Edge Institute, um, go ahead, uh, tell, tell folks how, how they can find you and, um, you know, uh, web addresses and, and all those things. Oh, my God. I'm surprised you're asking me that because I don't even really know. Like, I'd have to look it up. I think, okay, so the web handle is www.trainyourculture.com. The Twitter handles, I mean, you just type in competitive edge. I think it's at compete underscore edge. There you go. Oh, yeah. So the Twitter handle is at compete underscore edge. 
no joke. I thought underscore, when this stuff first started coming out, I thought underscore was somebody's last name. <laughs> so I was typing out underscore. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. But yeah, compete underscore Ed. Um, and then we're on Instagram. I don't know. I'm failing at this part. Do you want me to look it up? Yeah, we'll uh, we'll include all that in the in the show notes if uh, if people okay. want to and um even your your personal Twitter and, and Instagram and, and whatever you're a, a really yeah. great follow and I think that um you know uh, social media can be a, a really interesting environment sometimes and you know I think my goal for 2020 is to to try and add value and to not you know, because I, I felt myself kind of going down this really critical and sort of like snarky path and I'm like that's not me as a person. And so now how can I ask questions or sort of provide value to the audience in a way? And, um, you know, I've really been about in 2020, just kindness and listening and really trying to just understand people's circumstances a little bit better because, uh, I don't know, I, I'm not I'm sure if I had a defining moment in late 2019 when I sort of woke up, but I realized that, you know what, like if people are using our platforms and engaging with us and listening to this podcast, like let's give them some value. Let's pay it forward in a way. And I don't know, I've been sort of re-energized by that, I think. And um, yeah, I appreciate the content you put out and the questions you put out because I think they're great. And the follow-up questions, because it can get really easy to paint with the broad brush. It can get really Mm -hmm. easy to just generalize and, you know, coaches are great at saying, well, that worked, that doesn't work, you know, check this box, let that one go, blah, blah, blah. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, and we live in the gray area and people forget that it's not black and white. For sure. For sure. And if you don't mind, if I add this at the end, like any young coach, I feel, I just told somebody this the other day, I would love to be young again as a coach with so many resources so many people connecting, so many just opportunities to learn and grow that I felt like it just wasn't there because we didn't have social media like this back in 2005. Um, But, and a mentor. I didn't know what a mentor was. Like my dad was my mentor. And sometimes my dad was like dumping more oil on my burning fire because he was my dad. And, you know, granted, he had a lot of experiences as a coach, but I mean, I needed to hear a different voice. And so my dad was like the oil to my flame sometimes. But getting a mentor, being comfortable getting a, you know, a therapist, a counselor, someone who is completely disconnected from the soccer world that can give you a place to land your thoughts dive into your past I mean there is stuff I'm discovering now and I'm like gosh I would have been such a better coach in college even though that's not an environment I really think I want to get back into I would have been so much better if I just would have done the work on myself so as young coaches or people in general are thinking about how can I get better in 2020 maybe it's just looking at yourself like getting help for yourself, not the A license or the C license or whatever license. Maybe I got to get help for myself. And it's so incredibly brave to do that. Um, so that's my bit of advice because coaching can be a really lonely profession, especially in college. 
you know, I was a single female in my late 20s, early 30s, and all my friends are living life in Baltimore and New York City, and here I am sitting in a hotel room by myself in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. Like, it can be lonely. So, you know, do the work for yourself. Um, it's just, just a bit of advice I would love to push out for, for coaches. Fantastic advice. And uh, Lindsay, you are welcome back anytime. Um, that was a, just an awesome conversation. Really enjoyed it. Um, my thanks to Aaron for, for connecting all of us. And I hope we have the opportunity to meet in person, um, you know, sometime. Yeah. Um, just because I, I, I think, I mean, you're in our wheelhouse in terms of what we're trying to accomplish as a show. And um, just uh, appreciate your vulnerability and, um, you know, just openness to share your story. That was, that was really good stuff. Well, thank you. Thanks for giving me a little buffer there to get going. <laughs> <laughs> Our thanks to Lindsay Basiliga for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touch podcast. Um, Aaron, you know, people have asked me before, uh, what is your your most favorite conversation you've had doing this show? And you know, my my default answer is always to tell people that I've actually enjoyed every conversation, quite truthfully, uh, because there there's some similarities for sure, but yet there's there's differences. And I think the, the one thing that I really appreciated about it, uh, appreciated about the conversation that we had with Lindsay, was just her willingness and openness to share her story. Um, you know, some of the circumstances she endured as a, as a young person, bullying, getting picked on, but using sport, and something that I think we all talk about as coaches, to use sport in a very positive way um, is, a, is a vehicle and is a mechanism. And so... Uh, I, I love the quote uh, too that she said about you know culture is who you are when when no one else is looking, and I think that's so important when you're trying to build a team, when you're trying to build a program, uh, whatever the circumstances might be, that um, you know people can see what they want to see, but when the the cameras and the lights aren't on, what are people actually doing? And that will give you a good sense as to what a, a program or a coach or players are actually about. Yeah, I think she's come to that from a very honest place and, and, and from a lot of trial and error of actually being there in the trenches, working with so many different levels of, of athlete, from the young ones to the collegiate ones and all different levels. Because, you know, I know she didn't talk about it, but she, she's a U.S. soccer scout. She does coaching education in the state of Ohio. She, she works with so many different levels of, of player and coaches. And, uh, you know, and I think the other thing that's so awesome is she shows or she talked about coaches, we're human and it's okay to be vulnerable. And a lot of times we're looked at like we, we have to, we, we can't be vulnerable and we can't be sad or we can't be emotional. And, um, I think that she, she, uh, talks about that and, and talked about that in such a eloquent way and, and was really, really vulnerable to, to our guests, to us and to the guests. And I think it comes across really, really honest and, and I can see why she's being successful with the competitive edge for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I think that uh, I love the, the question that we've, you know, started to ask guests about their, 
you know, the, the team that they support or, um, you know, is there a team that they follow uh, or whatever? And I thought her answer probably fit her really, really well. <laughs> Absolutely. I just think her love of this game is, you know, it's authentic. You know, you can't fake that. And uh, I'm not shocked that she said she doesn't really have necessarily a, a team that she sort of put her full emphasis on, but she just loves the game so much that it doesn't matter. Whatever's in front of me, I'm going to like it. And uh, I think that's cool, you know, and I think that, um, you know, we, we at times in the soccer community, and I think this is uh, one of my goals going forward, is to break down sort of this ivory tower mentality that this is truly a game for all of us. You know, it's not just for some, um, that this is the common thread. And we, you know, this comes up all the time for us, but this is what brings people together. And so we should use it as a force for good, not as a dividing line, um, you know, that sometimes happens in our game, which I think is mm-hmm. fortunate. So, yeah, I think, I think um, her, her love for the game is so big that it can't be just to one team. It has to be to all of them. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Well said. Uh, so we've included links in the show notes of how you can connect with Competitive Edge Institute uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and also Lindsay, um, and reach out to her uh, on social media as well. Um, before we close up shop and uh, go for this week, be sure to stop at our uh, partner, uh, Manscaped, uh, manscaped.com, and at checkout, you can use the promo code exclusively for this show, O-T-T-L, and save 20%, and also free shipping on your next order. So guys or ladies or, or guys, uh, that if your partner might need a little upgrade in personal grooming, you might want to check out manscaped.com. Aaron, uh, as always, this has been a whole lot of fun. Um, can't wait to be back in people's feeds very, very soon. And uh, yeah, if folks want to connect with you on social, um, how can they find you? At Ohio Soccer Coach. He's active on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Soccer Coach JB uh, on the same platforms as well. Guys, this has been the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast, and we're your hosts, Jason Broadwater and Aaron Rodgers. Total random, random thought here, but I, uh, I'm, I've watched all the Star Wars movies, but I'm not a Star Wars freak. But I started watching the Mandalorian show on Disney Plus. Have you guys heard of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's awesome. I can't stop watching. It. <laughs> My older brother was telling me about it over the holidays and he swore by it. So it's awesome. And I'm, I, I'm not a star Wars guy. I mean, I like, I watch the star Wars movies and I find them entertaining, but that's about it. This show. I mean, I, I can't, I've already gone through, I've only got one episode left and I'm like, when's season two coming? I need season two. <laughs> But it's good. That's where, have you, Lindsay, have you seen the little baby Yoda thing? Yeah. That's what it's from. Okay. It's from that I show. I thought it was just recreated from Star Wars. I've never seen any of that. No Star Wars. I get, I get Star Trek and... Um... <laughs> Virtual high five, Lindsay. We're, we're friends because I've never All watched right. a Star Wars movie. <laughs> Star Wars, and literally the other day I asked my parents, I'm like, what's the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek? I thought it was the same.
This entertainment segment brought to you by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you didn't know you were coming on an entertainment podcast. <laughs> Listening to three coaches just ramble on about Disney Plus, that would be entertaining. <laughs>